Father in heaven, this morning we are eager to learn at your feet. That's the best place to be, Lord, sitting at the feet of Jesus. I pray that our hearts will be warmed by the words that we hear because they are your words and we want to hear your voice and follow it in Jesus' name, amen. I've been at this church for 44 years and I have seen various um, variations of members that range everywhere from faith in crisis to um, coming to church casually. Maybe God is important but not primary in their life. I've seen members that are committed, people who are just absolutely, uh, you can count on them for everything, and then there are those who are contributors, those who are always here doing things whether you know it or not. I can think of a few people who fit that category that you just never know, will never know what they've done, but they gladly do it because it's for Jesus. Um, but every one of us has different motivations, and it should be that the motivation that drives us in our relationship with church is God. But... This morning, I'd like to talk about our spiritual journey, and I've focused my attention on Bible reading and Bible study, devotional time. And if you are not regularly and routinely spending time with Scripture on a daily basis, it'll be very hard for you to be a devoted and supporting member of this church. If you are not connected to God through Scripture with some degree of regularity, then whether you realize it or not, your faith is weak, even if you don't self-diagnose yourself in that way. When I preached two weeks ago, I briefly mentioned something about the eight doctors, the eight doctors of health, which for me and for anyone has had an amazing application and effect on me. It says, through the agencies of nature, God is working day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment to keep us alive, to build up and restore us. These agencies are the power of God. When one recovers from disease, it is God who restores them. God has pledged himself to keep this human machinery in healthful action if the human agent, will obey his laws and cooperate with him. And so these are my eight doctors. These are your eight doctors. Nutrition, exercise, water, sunshine, temperance, air, rest, and last of all, trust in divine power. So let's briefly go through a quick tour. Nutrition, and uh, sorry, nutrition uh, in Genesis 129, it says that God gave every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth and every tree in which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you it shall be meat. So in other words, from the very, very beginning of time when we were all created, God gave us a plant-based diet. Plants were our diet. Number two, exercise. 
Exercise is the elixir, or the elixir, depending on how you pronounce it, of our energy. According to the U.S. Surgeon General, exercise is the single best predictor of longevity. In fact, walking is the best remedy for diseased bodies because in this exercise, all the organs of the body are brought into use. There is no exercise that can take the place of walking. By it, circulation of the blood is improved. When I learned the eight doctors that I'm sharing with you here, I was told that if we do all of them faithfully, do you know how much exercise is comprised of that whole 100%? Two-thirds. You can do nutrition and water and air and all those other things, but the, the effect, the benefit that you'll gain the most by doing all the others, you have to have the others. If you, do, if you do a lot of exercise, but you don't eat well or you don't sleep well, you don't drink a lot of water, it's not going to do well. But if you do all these things, two-thirds is of exercise. So here we go with water. A continuous supply of water is needed for all living things. Mankind can live six weeks without food, but only a few days without water. Our body is comprised of almost 70% water. Every cell in our body needs water. It is the beverage which God provided to quench the thirst. Drink freely, for it helps to supply the necessities of the system and assist nature to resist disease. Sunshine. Sunlight is essential for all life and helps plants to grow. In moderation, sunlight can ease tension, boost immunity, prevent disease, improve sleep, increase mental performance, heighten metabolism, and relieve arthritis. Temperance is not, is not doing the things that are bad for you and not overdoing the things that are good for you. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all. How much? All to the glory of God. God's plan is to totally avoid those things that may be used by others, even in moderation. So if there are things that are bad, even in moderation, God's plan is for you to, to uh, avoid those. Air, in addition to keeping us alive through the oxygen exchange in our lungs, air is good and produces a healthy circulation of the blood. It refreshes and strengthens the body. It soothes the nerves. It gives the mind composure and serenity. It invigorates the appetite. It helps your digestion, and it enables you to have a good night's sleep. Which, speaking of sleep, rest is essential to both your physical and your mental health. We talked about that briefly two weeks ago. It repairs our bodies and recharges our batteries for another day of activity. Without adequate sleep, there are many illnesses and diseases that are exacerbated by a lack of sleep. And finally, trust in God. Faith and trust in God is the foundation for all the laws of health. It is the most essential law that we can practice in our everyday life. We should cooperate with God in the care of our bodies. In order to have perfect health, our hearts must be filled with love, hope, and joy in the Lord. It is from this last letter of this New Start acronym that I would like to springboard my sermon for today. How to develop and to practice 
a devotional daily life with God. You know, Mr. Al, who I mentioned in our children's story, would have never known the possibilities of what God can do unless he had first experienced God personally. And I can tell you this morning that it is becoming very clear to me that I can't either. There's no one of us in this room who on their own can have any kind of um, joy or happiness or peace or health or anything unless we first come to God. Too often we seem to be having many recurring and continuing problems. Many of us have anxieties, we have addictions, we have worry, we have stress. May I suggest that we need God just like our bodies need nutrition and exercise and water and sunshine and all the other eight doctors. Just like we, uh, we were meant for proper nutrition, we were meant for exercise, we were meant for water and air and etc., we were made to need God. There is an essential segment of our life that requires a spiritual element, which is a living connection with the God to the Bible that created all life. What did Jesus say in John 15, verse, in John 15? I am the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. So there needs to be that connection in order to be productive. We were created to be connected to God. For example, since our bodies are 70% water, we need to drink lots of water to keep this amazing physiological machine operating. And no, I'm not talking about juice. I'm not talking about soda. I'm not talking about coffee. I'm talking about plain H2O. Just like we need to make a daily connection to water for our health, we need to make a daily connection with God for our spiritual health. John 4.14, Jesus said, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, and shall be in them a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Do you remember the sermon that I spoke about in, um, in April? We talked about the sanctuary, that the whole sanctuary pointed to Jesus. Stay tuned because we're going to find some very interesting thoughts as we go through this. Just like we need the air to breathe in every day, we need to be receiving the breath of life, Jesus, into our hearts. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says that we are to pray without ceasing. My friends, how long can we live without air? <laughs> Hardly, what is it, three or four minutes before we're kind of like going brain dead. Liz, what's the, what's, you know, you're a nurse, right? Four or five minutes, I don't know, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're not long before we were pretty kind of comatose. Um, prayer is the air that keeps us spiritually. So when Paul says pray without ceasing, it really means pray or just have an understanding and appreciation and a constant awareness that God is with you all the time. At some basic fundamental level, we could put things simply in this way. You are not stressed, you're disconnected. You're not anxious, you're disconnected from God. You're not addicted, you're disconnected from God. Now, I'm a lawyer, and lawyers always have caveats. I understand that people have addictions, and I understand that there are certain aspects in life that need clinical intervention. 
But I understand also that there's a statement that says 90% of the diseases are caused by the mind and other things. So I'm talking about that 90%, that you and I have a choice over whether or not our bodies will be affected. By analogy, the many complex and insurmountable difficulties that we so often find ourselves in actually have one very simple solution. It's God. For most of us, we are lacking a basic connection with God through his word. We don't read the Bible because we don't know how. We are intimidated by it, so we leave it to the pastor and other religious programming and books to tell us what the Bible is actually saying. Today, I would like to persuade you of this false notion and do my best to help you see how understandable and vibrant reading the Bible can be to your everyday life. Now, this last summer, in the month of August, I preached a sermon that was entitled, Sin is Living Your Life Apart from God. The basic premise of that sermon was that if you're not connected to God, you are sinning. This was the experience of many in the days of old. Our text, John chapter 8, verse 25, the actual religious leaders listening, watching, observing Jesus, finally had to say, who are you? The point of the sermon today is to share how you can come close to God and to discover his endless love. We want to discover who he is. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is living and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the hearts. Ladies and gentlemen, this book, and we'll talk about it in just a second, this book can go to the core of your conscience. It can quicken, it can excite you, it can, yes, it can hurt you in terms of pricking you, but in the end, it's only here to save you and heal you. It's amazing what this book can do. In so many ways, the Bible is powerfully alive. You talk about superpowers. The the Bible can cure the core of your heart, and it even exposes your innermost thoughts and your feelings. Most people that I know of, including me, don't want their innermost desires put on public display. The Bible is not something that you approach occasionally. Sadly, there are too many sinful distractions in this world that distract us from what is truly the most important thing of life, a living and most powerful connection with Jesus. Life is too short, and the stakes are too high to be placing our priorities on the side of the world versus connecting with God. Scripture will put the very finger of God right on the pulse of your life. Like your finances, your marriage, your relationships, your career, you name it. Whatever it is, Scripture will affect every single aspect. In many ways, the Bible is a scary book. Not because the stories are scary or that it is filled, because it's filled with great news. The Holy Spirit uses the words to reveal your thoughts, your motives, and your intentions. So maybe that is the reason we spend so little time with, uh, with God's powerful energizing and saving word. It is because we don't want to deal with the stuff and the baggage in our wounded and bruised hearts. 
Remember there was a slide that I asked you um, in the sermon this summer, and it went something like, how many of you believe everything you read on television, hear on television, or read everything, you, uh, believe everything you read in books, or you hear politics, or read on the internet, or anything? But yet, the, the question was, how many of you believe in the Bible? And, and no one raised their hands on the first questions, and everyone seemed to raise their hand in the second question. And my question is, why do we spend so much time in the things that we don't believe in and so little time in the things that we do believe in? Maybe that is the reason that we spend so little time. And it's too painful to deal with. The worldly things that we allow into our lives don't make us confront our issues, nor do they let God show us what we are really like on the inside. Reading the Bible is about presenting myself and yourself to God. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15 says, Study hard so God can say to you, Well done. Be a good workman, one who does not need to be ashamed when God examines your work. Correctly and accurately handle the word of truth so that you really know what his word says and means. Just like you and I need his eight laws to remain vibrant and healthy, we also need God. If you don't come to him daily at every moment, then a series of spiritual, emotional, relational, familial, psychological cause and effects will occur in your spiritual life. If you are not connected to the true source, then you will begin to spiral out of control. You get irritable. You look at the things that you shouldn't be looking. You treat others unkindly. You say things you shouldn't, and so on. However, I would venture to say these are not your problems. Your problem comes down to one thing. You and I lack a vital connection in Jesus, one that is regular and devoted with him. The very, listen to this text. This is Amazing. The very creative energy that called the worlds into existence, in existence is in the Word of God. This Word imparts power and creates life. Do you know what that means? The very cosmic power that said, bring forth land and make water and air and sunshine and stars and mountains and animals and you actually exists <clears throat> in the Word of God. It is this very power that you and I were designed to be connected to God by His Holy Spirit through Scripture. The very Bible brings forth constant life, just like not eating good food leads to a diseased body or not drinking water leads to dehydration or air deprivation leads to asphyxiation or refusing to exercise brings muscle atrophy and bone deterioration. Staying away from God is an exercise in futility, and it has eternal fatal consequences. Every command is a promise, and accepted by your will and received into your soul, it, the Bible, brings with it the life of the infinite one. It transforms the nature and recreates your soul into the image of God. Friends, you and I cannot afford to be occasional about our, our connection with God. Eventually, 
your finances, your health, your marriage, your relationships, your career, and so on, will experience major difficulties and sometimes failure to the point that eventual death and eternal separation from God and the everlasting life that he so lovingly desires to give you. Just like a car is designed to run on gas and oil or maybe diesel, so you were designed to operate and function in a certain way in which God carefully created you. The primary thing you were designed for was to be permanently connected to God and to, who loves you and died for you because he couldn't bear the thought of living eternity without you. The power is found in reading the actual Bible, not in the people who comment about the Bible. These aren't just words printed in some ordinary paper. Hebrews 4.12 told us that the very Bible was what? Living and powerful. So these pages are not just something that came from a printing press. They are the actual living and powerful Word of God. So for the next few minutes, I'd like to share with you what I have learned recently. Well, not recently. I've been taking some uh, Bible study classes on course, online for many, many years now. Um, and um, I've been kind of uh, put, I put this together. Uh, it's been shared with me, and I've been putting it into practice. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, and I plan on doing more uh, than just uh, sharing with it. I want to just share some practical things. Um, the Bible, I didn't write it down. The Bible was written for the common person. And so I'd like for us to um, think about the fact that the Bible was written for you and me. So I'd like to look at a couple of things here. When we come to the Bible, we need to have some intentionality. You need to purposely make time for Bible study. No matter how busy you are, you have the time. Because we all make time for what is important to us. As you make choices, those choices end up molding and shaping you. We all make choices about our income, our relationships, our lifestyle, our finances. We are all prioritizing what is the most important thing to us. We all have the same amount of time each day. Billy Graham once said, give me five minutes with a person's checkbook and I'll tell you where their heart is. We don't fit our devotional time with God when it's convenient in our day because if we do, it never will happen. We've got to decisively make it a regular habit to get into. Remember, you carve out time for what matters to you. I have found time early in the morning. Miss Abby, who works at night, may not. She might find time at other times. But at the end of the day, if you can, before the battle begins, put the armor on. So it's best, if you can, to put it on in the morning. It becomes easier for me to do this because now I am practicing one of my eight laws, which I am now going to bed a lot earlier than I used to. I get it if, uh, if you can't, but you know, there, there, there you are. Your mind is fresh and distractions haven't invaded your space yet. Number two, turn everything off. I have found that when I use the Bible on my iPhone, I get easily distracted by the notifications or the divergent thoughts that come into my mind and I quickly want to go onto the internet and try to, you know, answer that question. 
So I have started to use this only as my uh, reading of choice. We become incapacitated by too many choices which overwhelm us when we are bombarded by too much information. So I'd invite you to turn off the things that distract you and come to God by turning Him on through what we read in the pages. Now, one of the things that um, I have learned is that I was allowing too much other things into my life as well. And I have found that I have literally, in the last probably year, I have turned off all news. I haven't watched news. I don't listen to news. I get occasional headlines. But at the same time, I have found that my life is less stressed. My life is more focused. No one and nothing is more important than the time you will spend with the very creator of this universe. No one whom you talk to in any given day is more important than the talk that you will have with Jesus. Surrender yourself to God in prayer. John 7.17 says, If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching. Ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you that my relationship with God was thriving and vibrant. But I can tell you that with all these different distractions that were coming, it seemed to just kind of keep God at a certain comfortable place in my life, let's say. Ever since I've kind of tuned out the world and allowed him to have more of my attention, it's interesting that whatever it is that he wants me to know, I'm actually hearing it a lot better. I'm just sharing with you my own experience. If anyone, if you're willing to do God's will, you will know if it's um, from him. So this surrender that we're talking about comes before you can actually see with new spiritual eyes. I believe that we won't have the capacity to listen and hear and see what God is saying unless we are really anxious and willing to tune in. If we want to see things from God's perspective, we first need to surrender our will to Him and not vice versa. Spiritual understanding, knowledge, and perception will always follow in the wake of a surrendered heart. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is itself understanding. Your spiritual attitude precedes your spiritual perception. In order to understand the Bible, all you need is a willing, teachable heart. The most important and practical thing that you can do each day is to pray this prayer. Father, show me who you are and who I am. Make me willing to change so that you can change me. Remember, you are coming to your Father, to your God, the very source of life. It's important to realize that Jesus is the main point of Scripture. Anything you read and hear, it's all about Jesus. The entire Bible is all about Jesus. It's not a rule book. It's not a code book. It's not a textbook. The Bible is a storybook. 
And Jesus is the only hero of the entire story. Yes, it does contain rules. Yes, it does contain ethics. Yes, it does contain prophecies. Yes, it does contain doctrine. But these are only a mere um, portion of the larger narrative of the story about Jesus. So the Bible is divided into what we call the Old and the New Testament. Now, I want you to see what I've done in my Bible. I've actually, if you can see this, I've actually taken out this middle part here, which says New Testament, because there is nothing in between. The story of God starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation. There is no old and new, but in this way. Let me explain. The Old Testament was written with the anticipation of Christ. From Genesis 3.15 and through the sanctuary service, we see that the hope was always in looking for and anticipating the Messiah. But the New Testament is the realization of Christ who is the Messiah. Or you can say it another way. The Old Testament is a promise that was made. And the New Testament is the promise that was kept. After sin entered our planet, God made a promise, and he kept his promise. And in the Old Testament, everyone was looking forward to the Messiah, and in the New Testament, the Messiah came. So you can even divide it into more parts. Remember when Jesus walked with those two men in the road to Emmaus uh, in Luke 24, verse 27 says... Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Well, how much of the New Testament did they have? Zero. So from Genesis to Malachi, Jesus showed them everything concerning himself, which I'm sure was a long walk because it all referred to him. The next section are the historical books, Kings, Chronicles, Judges, Samuel, which are in the Preparation for Christ, basically showing us that human beings got God's messages all wrong. By the way, if you want to have an incredible insight into your Bible history, just tune in to prayer meeting on Wednesday evenings. I'm, I don't know what everyone else is doing at that time of night. I mean, it's only one hour, and we only spend four hours collectively, as my friend Josh reminded me, in, um, in church. Um, but We've been going through some amazing things in prayer meeting. Um, and we see that the nation of Israel and most of the kings failing miserably. Never a happy ending in sight. And we finally keep asking ourselves, is anyone going to get this thing right? Even Judges 21-25 tells us that in those days, whoops, sorry, I, I, that was the last text. In those days, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. But remember, we are still in the preparation of Christ's coming. So if you're looking in the Old Testament, you know that the first five books are the Torah or they're, uh, they're the, uh, preparing. Uh, and then, you know, the third section of the Old Testament books centers around poetry. Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. These are the aspirations for Christ where the writers long for something better and they cry out, how long, Lord? And the final section, of course, deals with the prophets and the prophecy. These writings point to the, the reader 
directly to the expectation of Christ. These first four sections are where the promise is made. But now we get to the New Testament, or which I call the extension, and um, we get the promise is made. So the first four sections are the Gospels, where the manifestation of Jesus took place. It's easy to see that the many reference in these New Testament Gospels refer back to the Old Testament of the promise made. So, for instance, when you hear John say, Behold the Lamb of God. What? It's the promise that in Genesis 3.15 and all through the sacrificial system, it was a promise. Promise made. And all of a sudden, John is saying, guess what? Here he is. Jesus has come. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all of God's promises. Now, which promises are these? At the time that Paul was writing, there was no New Testament. So at the, it says, for all of God's Old Testament promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Friends, Jesus didn't say no. He said yes. He said yes to you. And he said yes to me. Jesus said in John 5.39 that the scriptures are all about him. But what does that actually mean? The Bible tells us that the Bible itself has thousands of stories that point us in only one direction, and that's Jesus. Jesus points this out in John 5.39 when he said, you are so busy speaking to the religious leaders. You are so busy analyzing the scriptures, pouring over them. But everything you read in the scripture points to me. You know, before I go any further, I just had this little insight uh, as I was preparing that I had never seen before. In this text, the, script, the, the uh, religious leaders were using this as the object of their worship, worship. They were worshiping the scriptures because they were looking for their salvation and all the things that they could do to get them salvation. And you'll find that in the next verses, Jesus rousingly rebukes them. And doesn't say some very nice things. Just read it later. Uh, in the, in the, I think it's verse 42 and 44. Jesus doesn't have any nice things to say. But then, remember in Luke, when Jesus um, shared with them and the, uh, those two men on the road to Emmaus. Um, do you remember what those men said after they had spent some time with Jesus? Didn't our hearts warm? Weren't, weren't our hearts warmed by him? They, they, they just, they couldn't, they couldn't believe how spellbound they had been because of Jesus. Now, 1 John 4 verse 8 tells us one basic, fundamental, important truth about God. There is one thing that is so important that I don't want you to miss this. This is the most important thing in all of Scripture. God is love. I would suggest that when you come to reading the Bible, that you measure, weigh, balance, look at, judge, critique everything by that one thing. Why? Because it doesn't say God is loving 
or God is a lover, it says God is love. So let me give you an example. If you are thinking about, if you hear the concept of hell, is it compatible with, is the ever-burning, constant pain forever and ever for a lifetime compatible, compatible with the theme, God is love? I would say no. Friends, we would put God in jail if God burned his children in real life. We just don't tolerate that as a society. So anything that you read in Scripture must be weighed against this premise. Next, I would like for you to put yourself in the text. I have found this to be very, very helpful to me. In 1 Corinthians 10, in the first 10 verses, the Apostle Paul is telling the story about Israel leaving Egypt. But then he says this very interesting phrase in verse 11. These things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages is come. Paul is saying that as you read this story about the Israelites, put yourself in the story. No matter which story of the Bible you're reading, place yourself in the narrative. Read it prospectively, not backwards. So read it as if you don't know the end. No matter uh, if you know the story, don't read it casually. Pretend that you are living the story in the moment in real time for the first time and imagine what it might be like anticipating the next scene as it unfolds. Make the experience authentic no matter what your emotion is, whether you're confused, whether you're sad, whether you're happy, whether whatever it is that you're facing, make it authentic. Suspend your awareness of how it turns out. In other words, learn to read your Bible forward before you read it backward without the benefit of hindsight. Ask Jesus for just one insight, and he'll reveal it to you. Friends, I, I can tell you that I've been praying this prayer every time I come to the Bible, and it's interesting how many new insights I'm getting that I've never had before. I've asked God to share with me each day something new, some new aha moment, some gem of truth, some nugget, and he always seems to answer that prayer. And then, ask God to make himself a part of your life. When you take the time to read God's word, you are setting aside time to speak with the very God of this universe, the very one who created and sustains all of life everywhere all the time. And yet, this is what boggles my mind. He still has time for you. He still has time for me. Your time of meditation is no ordinary bit of time. It's an extraordinary communion with a very real and personal God whose heart longs to unite with and to speak to your heart. 
you are connecting with the living God. The power that brought the worlds and life into existence is in this very word. Remember at the beginning when I shared with you the eight concepts of New Start. You may be having some physical problems and some very serious. But the solutions could be right in front of you. And as simple as aligning yourself back into harmony with the eight laws of health that God created and designed for your optimal good when he created you. The same holds true with our spiritual lives. We may have a faith that is in shambles, or we may be treating God very casually in our life, not making him a priority. And yet the way to bring you back into a devoted or a committed experience with God is to get back into becoming intentional with your time with him on a daily basis. I can guarantee that there is probably not one person here who does not have a Bible in their house. And if you don't, please come and see me, and I'll make sure you get one. That way back or the road to spiritual vitality is as simple as that. Spending some quality and consistent time with this amazing friend whom the Bible describes in a thousand ways. You can call him anything you want. Lover, father, husband, brother, comforter, savior, redeemer, friend, sin bearer, burden bearer, tear wiper, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Just by exposing yourself in time to this kind of God will have the same effect as eating better, drinking frequently, getting adequate rest, breathing more fresh air, and exercising longer. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul speaks to his young friend Timothy when he said this to him. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. Translation, since there was no Old Testament at the time, Timothy was reading only, uh, sorry, New Testament, there was, Timothy was reading only the contents of the Old Testament. And he saw all throughout the Old Testament that Jesus was the point. But continuing in verse 16, all scripture is inspired. That means all scripture was God-breathed and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do right. So how does a book like this do that? Well, that's the point. It's not a book. It's a series of 66 books written by some 40 authors over a 1,500-year span of time that had no collusion, no cooperation among its writers because, frankly, it couldn't. It was 1,500 years. And yet, it agrees with itself perfectly, and it doesn't contradict itself. In essence, this is the Word of God. 
The Holy Spirit works through his word to convict, to teach, to inspire, to correct, to guide you, energizing you and me in a way that, quite frankly, is nothing short of supernatural. You are not reading from special paper in a leather binding. No, in a moment, in an instant, in a word, in a passage, in a story, in a flash, you are coming face to face with the living God. Jesus can, does, and will show up in your morning devotions. Every time you open God's word and approach your reading in a humble and teachable spirit, you will be meeting with God in an intimate way each and every time, guaranteed. And when you regularly meet with this incredible God and you make him first and last and best in your life, you will be able to face anything that life throws your way. I know because two weeks ago I preached the very journey through which God was bringing me through the different trials and difficulties which I have been facing these past 12 months. I have learned that Jesus can and does carry me through all of them. So when you get this way with Jesus, it will show. And all your passion will ooze out onto anyone who sees and is around you. Do you want to make an impact for God with others? Then let God impact first who you are. There's no other way. You cannot be an impact to others unless God has first impacted you. If Jesus can go to the grave and come out on the other side victorious, he can carry you through any storm in your life. When you determine and actually begin to open your Bibles and get to know the God behind it all, you are literally encountering God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit head on in every word on every page. Superman, Batman, Thor, Hulk, Spider-Man, Captain America, Wonder Woman, and the Paw Patrol pups don't even blip the radar compared to this kind of connection to this kind of superpower. We need the Bible like we need the eight doctors of New Start. Before I went out to California a year ago, I thought I had a lot of problems. But when I got out there, I realized that I was out of line with only one law, the law of life, which governed all the other things that were happening in my life. I was ignoring the connection to good and wholesome resources that would change my way of leaving, living. And it's the same way with God. You have all these problems. You have heartaches. We have sorrows. We have cares, anxieties, and worries in our life. But these really aren't your real problems. Your real problem is not having a living, breathing, and vital connection with Jesus. Friends, if you want to take the leap from a weak faith or an occasional casual relationship and you want to move into a more active and a supporting role, 
that will not happen so long as you distract yourself with the other things of this world like sports or movies or career expansion or money accumulation or prestige or you name it. If you have time for all of these things, but you don't have time for Scripture, then, well, maybe you need to reorient your life into the most important that really matters, which will have an eternal and lasting effect on your life forever. I urge you today, I have six words today, I could make it a hundred. I could make it a thousand. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And more Jesus. Because in the final analysis, Jesus is the point. A connection to Jesus will make your life better. It will make your family better. It will make your finances better and your physical and your mental health. You were designed to be connected to God and nothing else will ever be able to replace that God-given hole that only He can fill, nothing. I plead with you this morning to make it a priority to open your Bible each day, come face to face with Jesus. If this church had people like this, who were devoted, kind, loving, spirit-filled, on fire, and contributing to this church, we would see some amazing things happen, like, quite frankly, I haven't seen in the 44 years I've been here. I'm an old relic around here. I'm an ancient fossil. But I can tell you one thing. I am discovering that Jesus makes me feel younger and younger every day. And I'm feeling more alive than I ever have before. The closer I draw nearer to him, the closer he draws nearer to me. God is ancient himself. But at the core of his heart, he's the most useful, youthful and childlike being I have ever met. My prayer today is that we will turn our eyes upon Jesus as we sing our closing hymn, number 290, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Father in heaven, teach us how to prioritize and reprioritize our life. Forgive us for being distracted by the many insignificant things of this life that we place so much importance on. Help us to get up a little bit earlier than we normally do each day, spending the time reading our Bible and in those moments coming face to you, face to face with you, this God of love. There is no greater joy or happiness than to fulfill the purpose for which you created us. I pray for the weak and the occasional members of this church that you would enable and inspire them to allow you to move them towards a more devoted and, yes, contributing relationship with you, this church, and to the larger community around us. May we wake up daily seeking to connect with you first, and then from there, asking how we may advance your kingdom, is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.